In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing the 2009 Reformation Lutheran Church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The 2009 Reformation Church Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible as we always do. This verse is Matthew 26, verse 52, and it reads like this, But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. I want to pause here just to talk about this verse a little bit. A lot of us have used the, uh, have heard this verse used in order to advance a passive response to violence. But what this verse actually is, it's actually a proverb. And what proverbs are is they're general rules to live by. They're generally true. Uh, maybe you could say the majority of the time that they're true. And in the case of this one, it's not a guarantee, it's just a general rule. The other thing is, is I really believe that this proverb is actually talking about evildoers, about sinful people. If you live a life of crime, if you live a life of violence, you know, maybe it's domestic violence or whatever it is, maybe you're a bully or you're, you like to go to the bar, get drunk and beat up people up. If you live that kind of lifestyle, the chances of you experiencing violence at some point increases considerably. Now, it's also generally true for anyone that chooses a profession or a job or, in our case, volunteering at the church. By putting ourselves in that position of risk to deal with potentially violent people, you know, of course, our, the, the chances of something happening increases for us because of the position we're in. But that, I just want to get, out, get that out a little bit because I know I've heard this so many times from people that are against church security and they throw this verse at me all the time. So there you go. So what we're going to be talking about is the lessons learned from this shooting. Now, I'm going to give you a little disclaimer here. Um, I'm not going to talk, um, how, how shall I say this? We're not going to focus so much on the victim. If you want to find out who the victim was and, and even a little bit about the motivation behind the killer, um, you by all means go over to the article. All the information is there. Instead, what I want to do is I want to turn this into something that we can use as a safety ministry to mitigate violence of this type happening at the church. So in this case, what happened is, I'm going to do some reading here so we can get all the details right, is um, on Saturday at 5.30 p.m., a visitor attended the evening Vespers, I might be saying that wrong, at the Reformation Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas. Um, this was a weekly time of hymns and prayers to prepare hearts for the next day's morning services. Um, for this in particular visitor, the killer, um, it was a different kind of preparation. Um, the church members became suspicious because of the questions he asked them after the service. It turned out that he had plans the following day. The visitor arrived on Sunday uh, at 10.03, Sunday morning, as members were arriving for the second service while greeters at the door were handling, handing out leaflets. 
he walked in, came, um, came back to one of the greeters from behind, pulled out his pistol, and shot him in the head. As the greeter fell to the ground dead, two ushers tried to apprehend the gunman. He threatened the first and ran out the door. He threatened a second who had followed him outside. Then he got into his car and he drove away. A third usher was able to get his license plate. Um, with the descriptions with the car, the driver, the license plate number, uh, the Kansas State Police soon found him 170 miles away as he was trying to make it back to his own home in Kansas City. So the target here, like I said, I'm not going to get into who the target is. I think it's, that's just going to open up a huge can of worms, but I'll give you a good reason to check out the article. But what I want to focus about the target, about this door greeter that got killed, is this. There was a known risk to this person. It, it, there were credible threats against this person. So for our sake, and church, you know, thinking about church security, is think about domestic violence. Think about when somebody really is at risk or being threatened by maybe a spouse or by, you know, maybe there's custody dispute going on, or maybe it's even a credible threat to somebody else at the church. Maybe it's not domestic related. Maybe it's something else, you know, a threat against a pastor or a VIP. And what do we do then? And that's what I want to kind of focus on here is we have a credible threat. How do we handle that? So let's go on about this in particular guy. I'm just going to get into him a little bit, the killer, is um, Basically, it's no surprise that mental illness played a role in this incident, um, since the, it's a factor to so many of these church shootings. According to family members, the middle-aged shooter had been diagnosed with schiz uh, schizophrenia when he was about 20 years old. Um, not, a, um, not all mentally ill people are violent, um, and neither are all schizophrenics, but some are, especially if um, they don't submit to counseling and guidance. Um, even then, um, they, you know, that doesn't guarantee that they're going to they're, they're gonna become violent. But that's what this guy's situation was. He also had what's called oppositional defiant disorder. So here's a guy that has schizophrenia, has all these things. He's untreated, and he's got this oppositional defiant disorder that just makes him lash out at people. Um, all right, the assassin was not a stranger to legal trouble. He had been in prison before. He was associated with Sovereign Citizen Group out of Monta Montana. Um, and Sovereign Citizens, if you don't know, they reject all government authority or most government authority. Um, by the time of this shooting, all or most of this group that he was a part of was in prison for one form of fraud or some other crimes that they committed. So. We're talking of sovereign citizens, even they were radical to the point of all of them going to jail or most of them going to jail. Um, having reality dis distortion co condition and possibly um, that oppositional defiant disorder, um, he was easily persuaded by the claims of the sovereign citizen group. His former wife said that he had trouble paying bills um, because of his mental illness made it hard for him to keep a job. Um, someone told him that income taxes were illegal and 
and most other taxes were as well. So he was quickly drawn into that. You can see how he'd just be drawn right into that. Uh, 13 years before the shooting, he was stopped for not having a license plate on his car, um, just a card that said sovereign citizen. He also had no driver's license, no vehicle registration, and no proof of insurance. A search of his car found materials for making a bomb. His ex-wife later said that um, um, they, were intending, uh, they were intended for bombing of abortion clinics. Um, this was also during the time where the Atlantic uh, Olympics bombing occurred and two other abortion clinics were bombed. Um, he was convicted. Uh, he was convicted for the explosions, uh, explosives, but the, it was later overturned because of an illegal search. So the lessons learned from that. <laughs> There's a lot here. In this case, he's unknown to the church. Um, he is somebody that is determined, partially influenced by his mental health, partly influenced by his beliefs. Um, some of those radicalized by sovereign citizens. He was determined to kill this in particular person. This person had active threats against their life. This person actually went so far and at times had a bodyguard with them. And so we're talking a real communicated threat, a lot like our domestic violence. We had a situation in our church where a woman was going through divorce. The guy was on his way to prison because of all kinds of things, child molesting, all that, all that kind of stuff. And um, we knew about the threat, and we knew he was out on bond. It was an active threat. We knew about it, so we took actions. So in the case of this shooting, you have that kind of person. Then what you have is you have the killer showing up the night before. And so this is where communication kind of comes in. He comes in the night before. The questions he's asking, now I don't know what those questions were. I don't know what those interactions were but it was enough for them at least to recall later that it all makes sense now, it all fell together. Now, if that would have been communicated to the safety team, this would have been a good time to elevate our risk level, right? We, we know somebody's coming, or it could be coming, you know, or there was this disturbing person that was there, what can we do, you know, to get, to be safer. So maybe, you know, you get on the phone, get all the safety team in. You know, you brief the greeters. If there's any indication that it's your, you know, that your intended victim or your known risk person might be that person, you get them out, you know, you, you, you take care of them, you know. In this case, he's actually working as a greeter. That's not very smart, right? I mean, he's right there. The bad guy could pull up, see him there, just shoot him like it happened here and drive away. Maybe people at that elevated risk should not be in the public eye. They should be taken care of. Now, I don't mean that we're hiding them in the back room necessarily, but I'm just saying maybe we, if they normally sit on the left side of the sanctuary, maybe they sit on the right side, and maybe we put somebody on them that's watching them, um, you know, to keep them safe and then have an exit plan. You know, if, if the bad guy shows up at the front and it's called out, hey, the, the estranged husband is here, you pick up the spouse, you pick up the kids and you exit, you know, you get them out of there, either out of the building or into a lockdown room someplace that you can protect them. So that's kind of the, what I want to focus on here with you guys and something for you guys to think about is just 
What do we do about known threats and known risks? What kind of increased level of security should we put into place when there's indications that an attack is a, could occur? So that's basically all I have for you guys. I wanna let you know that we do have a download on this. We're starting to create, kind of by popular demand, we're starting to create special downloads that talk about the lessons learned from each one of these that we do basically once a month. So check out the comment section below. Get that, you know, click the link, go over there, you put in your email address, maybe your first name, whatever, and then we send you an email with that, uh, with that download attached. Other than that, if you like this video, please like, share, comment, give us your two cents. All these kind of things help the, the computer systems, the algorithms, YouTube and iTunes and all them to know that this is a good show. And then of course it re recommends it to other people. Other than that, thank you so much for joining us today. And hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.